Ringer Dish is the place for all things celebrity, from major celebrity moments like the Met Gala and the Oscars, to the weird habits of the stars you love, to refreshers on the biggest tabloid stories from the last 20 years, Ringer Dish has all the vital details. On Tuesdays, catch Jam Session with Juliet Littman and Amanda Dobbins for Royal Family Rumors, Celebrity Real Estate, and Industry Analysis. And on Fridays, listen to Tea Time with me, Kate, and Amelia for lightning-fast coverage on pressing celebrity news and gossip. Check out Ringer Dish on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. This episode is brought to you by Thomas's. Thomas's presents Technique with Tom. Slicing an English muffin with a butter blade? Boulder Dash. Just pull apart with your hands and marvel in the nooks and crannies splendor. For each one is unique like a snowflake. Thomas's. Huzzah! A toast to breakfast. This episode is brought to you by Viore. I love sports. I know you do too. I also know that lots of you exercise, but if you're like me and my wife, the, the beloved sports gal, you're sick and tired of ugly, uncomfortable workout gear, especially, you know, I do a lot of walking. I walk around LA. I make calls. I listen to podcasts. Here are two words that will change everything. Viore clothing, a line of activewear that is unbelievable. The best thing about Viore is you can lounge around in it you can work out in it. You can go outside. You can go shopping down in your local wherever. And you never feel like you're either underdressed or overdressed. You're just comfortable. You can wear it when you're training, traveling, lounging around the house. Go get yourself some of the most comfortable and versatile clothing on the planet. Here's the deal. Our listeners get 20% off their first purchase at viori.com slash Simmons. Once again, V-U-O-R-I.com slash Simmons. David, the Biden administration announced this week that to reach Americans who have not yet gotten the coronavirus vaccine, they are partnering with country music, television, and NASCAR. What I want to know is what other pop culture institutions would help convince Americans to take the vaccine? I don't know. Can you buy ads on like uh, evangelical TikTok? Is that a thing? I, isn't, that, <laughs> I mean, isn't that where the crazy misinformation is coming from? Disinformation is coming from now because you see all this stuff with like all these like evangelical leaders are actually like going or pro vaccine and they're kind of having to make. So, I don't, this is so nuts. Having grown up in the church, they're having to make the, like the evangelical or the the biblical case for getting a vaccine, which is just so <laughs> seems so unnecessary. But they're what they're competing against are like is are like the voices of like like TikTok Christianity that have sprung up in earnest over the past year plus. I mean, it's just just weird. That doesn't really answer your question in a particularly funny way, though. Um, uh, but, spe- but speaking of evangelicals, you saw the Jerry Falwell Jr. vaccine mm-hmm. thing. Yeah, please get vaccinated so our nutcase of a governor will have less reasons for mindless restrictions. <laughs> yes, I, I yeah. guess we'll take it. Yeah, yeah, you can make fun of the nutcase, the, the you know liberal governors all you want if it if you're just encouraging people to get vaccines. It's amazing though, just in general the situation. I mean, the, the the place that conservatism or evangelical conservatism or whatever it is has twisted itself into that you can't actually say a thing that agrees with a Democrat president, despite the fact that it aligns with the previous Republican president without finding a weird backdoor way of like doing it to like, you know, you're like getting vaccinated to own the libs, basically. It's like the only thing you can do. So yeah, hopefully NASCAR, hopefully CMT, deadliest catch, like whatever. I was watching some reality show that I don't even know what it was because I got a new TV with free broadcast television and it was some Alaskan survivalist who was helped building a survivalist house in Hawaii or something. I don't even know. That would be a good one though. I feel like that should be where where we maybe maybe those like uh any kind of survivalist shows like alone that's a fantastic one that's where i would go that's where i would be be spreading that vaccination speaking of cable what about those ads where celebrities who are shall we say a little past prime are selling products to people <laughs> is there a way joe biden could invoke the defense production act the one trump wouldn't invoke and just <laughs> take over those commercials yeah so instead of diabetes medication or life insurance it's all about the vaccine now. And I don't even think we need Tom Selleck to re-record his bids. <laughs> I was going to say, Tom Selleck with that just like, just just liars, you know, plain of face, just saying like, "There's a, I'm Tom Selleck. There's no way I would be tricking you elderly people to, into getting vaccines that exert brain mind control over the populace. 
I would believe him. I think a lot of people would too. Coming up on today's show, Joe Biden is still plottingly effective. Plus Rob Stone on the biggest bowling call maybe ever and an overworked Twitter joke of the week featuring infrastructure. All that and more on the Press Box, a part of the Ringer Podcast Network. Hello, media consumers. Brian Curtis and David Shoemaker here. David, we thought we'd lead off today and do a three-month check-in on the Joe Biden administration. We're not totally going to take Greg Gutfeld's word for it. As they say in NFL draft circles, we want to do our own evaluation. And today, (laughs) it appears we have an ostensible peg for this segment. Yeah, it's a topic so boring that even you and I couldn't resist it. Biden announced today that all American troops would be withdrawn from Afghanistan by September 11th, which is the 20-year anniversary, of course, of the September 11th attacks that launched the conflict, uh, I guess we could use that term, in Afghanistan. This comes on the heels of an administration review of the you know military and political situation there. And yes, it is several months later than the previous president's uh, announced withdrawal date of May 2021. May is sneaking up on us, obviously. But this one, um, unlike the unlike, unlike Trump's May date, uh, this one's actually based in reality, not just as a um, you know subtle fu to whoever his <laughs> his follower in the White House would be. Um, it's interesting because there was a lot of there was a number of articles in the past week or so that were sort of presaging this, saying that it looked like he was going to Biden was going to have to delay it. Of course, he's going to have to delay it. The May date was always a little bit of a non-starter. Um, and, you know, talking to generals and, and other military leaders saying, we just need an answer. We just know we, we, we just need to know what we what, what we're going to do. But, but it's weird. I don't it, the news came out today and it was it seemed like, well, I mean, it is, it's a really big deal and it seems, but, but it also seems like a very, it's, there's a very Bidenness to it. It's just sort of a well-considered, fairly obvious thing that Buck's conventional wisdom sort of only in so much as it shows the distance between Washington conventional wisdom and the rest of the country's conventional wisdom. Does that make sense? That like, this, this shouldn't be a big deal. This shouldn't be a hard decision, but it is a hard decision if you do it recklessly, like our previous president might've done. This just seems very, like very normal news, yet it's the sort of news that gets, you know, big fonted headlines in the New York Times. What do you, what do you think? No, totally. And I was going to bring this up later in the segment, but we might as well say it now. I am amazed at how the discourse around Joe Biden, the president, is almost exactly the same as it was around Joe Biden, the candidate. Mm-hmm. Conservatives sort of desperately trying to get their mind around this guy. And then they just give up and start pretending that AOC is wearing a Joe Biden costume and is actually the president. Right. And Joe Biden's, you know, ostensible allies, or at least a larger group on the left sort of thinking, I think if anything, just underestimating the political savvy of team Biden. Mm -hmm. Now, maybe it's just impossible to overestimate team Biden. (laughs) So you can only underestimate team Biden. But there seems to be this thing where it's like, you know, the the administration started, right? And it's like, oh my gosh, this is going to be like 2009 again. It's going to be Obama waiting for the fever to break, trying to cooperate with Republicans, and they're going to get rolled. And they didn't do that, at least Mm -hmm. with the COVID relief bill. And now you have the the withdrawal from Afghanistan, which is apparently a real withdrawal from Afghanistan. Mm -hmm. Again, as you say, the kind of, you know, just the kind of thing it's like, oh, wow, if this gets done... This will be a big deal. Yeah, I mean, there was a, there was a really, I thought, poignant and and and, and smart uh, line from an administration official. I think in the New York Times story about this. I'm sure it's more widely spread than that. But basically, they were just like, we are going to stay very involved in the political future of Afghanistan, but we're not going to let our military be a bargaining chip in that process. We're gonna, you know, we're taking a step back, sort of, so we can engage like we engage with so much of the rest of the world. It just seems like. It just, I don't know. I don't want to be too effusive because the points of comparison are difficult. But um, you're right, you're absolutely right about the way that Republicans have been responding or reacting to everything Joe Biden's done. I think that for so long, I mean, for the past four plus years, just sort of all that they, all that the Republican or kind of conservative talking heads and Republican political leaders really did was sort of 
play cleanup for Trump's tweets, you know, and you they sort of cobbled together as a bizarre epistemology by just like by making the best sounding version of what Trump was ever, whatever Trump was agitating for inanely at the moment. Right. And they sort of forgot how to think on their own, you know, to sort of like take the, I mean, to, to sort of coalesce around a, a real idea. Now, whether or not the Republican party is, is the party of ideas in any real sense now, I guess is, is an open question, but they're always, they've always been a really adept political organization, right? Political animal. And even that now seems to have abandoned them. And it's sort of unclear whether or not Joe Biden is just like the kryptonite to whatever they can do or <laughs> whether it, they just don't have, I mean, they still, they're still out there. I mean, you watch Fox News. Like we should talk about the George Floyd trial in depth on a recent episode. I mean, on, a soon, on, a, on an upcoming episode, we will. But I've been watching it almost every day. And I was saying to my wife just yesterday, I was like watching the defense attorney, um, Derek Chauvin's attorney, it's actually his trial, not George Floyd's trial, I should be clear. Uh, Chauvin's defense attorney do his thing. Like, I almost get the idea that he's just, that the words don't matter and he's trying to act like a television attorney who's get, who's who's winning. Like, if he just asks enough questions repetitively and sort of raises his eyebrow, then maybe he'll be able to convince some of the jurors that he's doing a good job, even though the words are, he's losing on his own terms. There's some of that with what the Republican Party does now. And I don't mean to impugn them with any race crimes or anything necessarily, but it just seems like they're going out there on Fox News and like wagging their fingers and raising their voices in a in a recognizable way, but they're not actually saying anything. They don't have anything bad to actually say about the Biden administration. It's sort of shocking. That's the lesson learned from Trump, right? Yeah. That at the end of the day, it doesn't matter what you think. It doesn't even really matter what you do. It's all about style. You, mm -hmm. you go out and project that you're winning and project that you're savvy and project that you've got it all under control, you'll be fine. Yeah. Whereas the Biden administration, it's certainly not beyond, you know, the kind of symbolic speech or, you know, Joe Biden coming out and, you know, giving some kind of moment of national mourning. We talked about that with the coronavirus. He did that several times early in the administration. But, you know, it's just more about sort of, you know, they're, they're less worried, let's say, about sort of the appearance of leadership. Mm -hmm. Then and I, you know, we could date the the Republican question is really interesting because you could date it to Trump. You could also date it to Mitch McConnell declaring that he was never going to let Barack Obama succeed on a yeah. piece of bipartisan legislation. And when that is your focus, then you've sort of stopped having to worry about ideas. Mm -hmm. You're against it because the other team is for it. And this is this has come up on COVID relief. It's also coming up on the infrastructure bill. And the infrastructure package that Biden has put forward. There is not really a coherent defense or a coherent sort of opposition to this other than, oh, it's the Joe Biden thing. We don't want to we don't want to do that. Everything. Yeah. Well, and, well I mean, the, the only coherent defense is everything is infrastructure, right? I mean, is it going on Twitter and oh, making jokes? Lips. Yeah. Yeah. Going on Twitter and making jokes about how like, oh, is, you know, is the pet grooming infrastructure too. Uh -huh. you know, like it, it, there's there's not a lot of there there. It's interesting if you're not the party of ideas, though, it does open yourself up to a an interloper like Donald Trump coming in and knocking out all of your presumptive nominees uh, in the primary which who knows, he might have won by force of, you know, character anyway. Character's not the right word. Per force of personality. <laughs> personality. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> uh, regardless. But it also opens you up to having, you know, the only ideas that are kind of floated out there are these sort of very mainstream ideas that Democrats don't even need to appropriate. They, by and large, agree with. So we see Joe Biden out there doing, passing a big COVID relief bill, which Donald Trump was pushing for in his last days in office, this infrastructure bill, which Donald Trump fitfully. had been touting in some form or fashion over the past four years. Also fitfully, um, yes. Yes, uh, <laughs> the, leaving Afghanistan. So I mean, obviously Trump put that on the calendar for May and had been had been talking about that since the prime the Republican primaries five years ago. Mm -hmm. um, there's really nothing on the Biden agenda that is not nominally a part of the Republican agenda if what the things that came out of President then President Trump's mouth were representative of that. And that's what happens when you're not a party of ideas, right? I mean, if you're and as, as, as <laughs> you can't really say no, I disagree with that. I would rather do this other thing if there's not another thing there, right? It, and everyone has to say yay infrastructure. And now all you can really do is try to whittle down the definition of infrastructure, bring you know, draw it back. But but it's um, it's funny that for all of the chatter about what infrastructure means and how Biden is overexpanding the definition, you don't really get the feeling that the bill is 
not going to pass. Right? I mean, you don't really feel like the opposition is particularly meaningful, except in so much as maybe it's going to be meaningful for scoring political points in four years. Well, or two years, right? Because yeah, I guess true. I guess if you're saying if we're evaluating the political savviness of this, part of it is the minority party almost always gains seats in the midterm. So if you just do nothing, if you're just do generic, hey, that Joe Biden is doing the wrong thing, <laughs> sort of pantomime, that you will gain seats and maybe you'll win the house back yeah. and you'll gum up his whole administration, which, by the way, when we talk about the Biden scorecard here, how amazing do those two Senate wins in Georgia look right now? Mm-hmm. Because we're talking about Joe Manchin, you know, essentially being a no go on blowing up the filibuster like. Everything depends on 50 senators and still holding the House. I mean, what would this look like if it were not 50-50 in the Senate? This would look like what you're talking about, I think. You know, it would be, it would be, you know, eh, nah, we don't want to do that. Nah, 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 we're not gonna do that. Yeah. And it would be an absolute mess. I don't think we should uh skip over the unsexy business of norm restoring. That Joe Biden no. has done so far, you don't even have to, you know, embrace all of these, right? Like, you don't have to think that Jen Psaki is absolutely leveling with the American people 100% of the time that she stands behind a microphone and does a press briefing. But there are press briefings. That is something. You don't have to think Joe Biden is telling the truth all the time to salute the fact that he is not lying all the time. Like every time he opens his mouth and doing, you know, up is down, black is white kind of style of politics like Donald Trump was doing. So that that has got to be here in the scorecard somewhere, doesn't it? Sure. Yeah. I mean, just meeting in the White House with these, you know, congressional leaders to discuss the infrastructure bill when I mean, I guess there's a little bit of freedom to do that magnanimously when you don't. You don't necessarily need any of their votes to pass it, you know, which is this kind of interesting situation that Biden's found himself in. But still, he wants to do it everything in a bipartisan way. That's always that was the knock on Biden throughout the campaign. At least he says he does. Well, yeah, but that but right. But there were people who were making the case all through the campaign that that's the sort of thing you have to say to be Joe Biden in a campaign. Right. Yes. Yes. And look, maybe he's landed on the happy medium between what Obama thought he could do in 2009 and what is was actually possible, which is I'm going to say bipartisanship. I want everybody involved. I'm going to give Republicans exactly 30 seconds to prove that they're serious about being involved. And as soon as that's up, eh, okay, we're just going to do our own thing. Mm -hmm. That's it. And there's a lot of ways. I mean, there's a, a, listen, obviously, there's a lot of political issues in the Democratic primary that 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 Joe Biden has not really come near at this point you know uh, elizabeth warren's still talking about well and and i think it was menendez we're still talking about um uh student loan debt forgiveness that's going to become an issue at some point obviously there's you know you know medicare for all obviously was was being pushed much further to the left than joe biden seemed to be willing to go although he might be able to make up all that ground we don't know where they're going to go but in, but, but people who very fair-minded people have looked at the looked at the covid relief bill and said this is the most the most liberal piece of legislation that's that's you know been passed in the past 50 years or more you know i mean it's you when you when you look at things sort of on their own terms and this and the infrastructure bill too these this is really significant left lefty legislation that that is further to the left than joe biden ever seemed on the trail Ari, or Ari Melber last night, I think it was last night, earlier this week on his show, referred to Joe Biden as, quote, walking softly but carrying a big liberal agenda, which is, you know, a little bit tongue in cheek. But I think that's there's something there that I, that whatever he's the demeanor, whatever norms are being restored, whatever old version of, you know, liberalism that Joe Biden claims to represent. It seems like there's an incredible amount of there there, if you'll forgive the turn of phrase. You know, I mean, it's a, it's a things are really happening. Yeah, it's funny, and I and I think if you look, if you if you want to say that the Democratic Party's just moved a long way, that the world, or American politics at least, is just sort of the center has changed a lot, and mm -hmm. that Joe Biden has sort of ridden along with that, but has somehow maintained this Biden esque quality. Where even when you sell an agenda item like that, it seems plottingly centrist. Mm -hmm. 
it seems unimaginative. It seems unambitious because it's coming out of Joe Biden's mouth. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's kind of a weird power to have, though perhaps an effective power, especially because, as we've said a minute ago, his opponents have so much trouble figuring out an effective way to think about him. Well, and it's, I mean, it's not just his opponents, right? I mean, also, it's just, it's going to be really interesting to kind of watch the mainstream media at large over the next, I mean, present every day to day, but over the next couple of years, because, you know, the Afghanistan withdrawals at the top of the New York Times homepage right now, I think the font size has actually come down since it was first announced, but it's, uh, it's, it's those really significant things that, every outlet is going to have to sort of figure out how to weigh, right? I mean, it's like how how significant is, I mean, the COVID relief bill felt like an exhale by the time that it happened and sort of the intricacies of the bill weren't necessarily the front page news when it happened. And, you know, all major legislation that gets passed in this day and age is a major accomplishment, you know, right? I mean, everything yes, that happens. A bill that passes. We end up getting hyper-focused on like Joe Manchin, which is, justifiable <laughs> which but, joe manchin would like us to be hyper focused uh, on joe manchin yes we um, we could we could have done a whole se segment on joe manchin but i and and i'm sure at some point we will but he's a sort of very interesting character in that he's he's easy to cover right he is a he's a perfect figure for modern media to sort of try to tell the entire story through even though what's happening separate from him is much more important Right. I mean, the things that the, the the covid relief bill, despite his last minute line edits, <laughs> is a deeply significant piece of legislation, of liberal legislation. And, um, you know, Joe Man the Joe Manchin is just an interesting one to watch because he's catnip for the media. And are they going to be able to tell sort of the bigger story as it happens? I like the idea of the Biden administration having track changes mode on. <laughs> And Joe Manchin is the editor. Just JM pops up in the upper right, like is <laughs> in the upper right hand corner, and you're just like, oh, damn it. Manchin's in the document. This is terrible. You don't think um, he'd have one of those little animals as his stand in rather than just the initials? <laughs> yeah, he's already got the little icon. Can I ask yeah. a very stupid question about Joe Manchin, by the way, since we're here and then we can leave? Sure. This is my like, I feel like I would have had the same opinion when I, if I wasn't paying attention to politics, but what? I understand what Joe Manchin wants, right? Joe Manchin wants the attention. Joe Manchin, Joe Manchin has this just kind of obscene attraction to this vague, this sort of amorphous concept of bipartisanship, right? Where as long as you just sort of piss off both people just a little, then you're doing your job, regardless of the actual stances of both parties, right? One would think that you would be elected on a platform that, has, that had actual, actual contents and not just you know, 50-50. You know, I'll make sure that the balance of power doesn't shift. But what, why wouldn't it be in the like Joe Biden and all the Democrats' best interest instead of just catering to him blindly or sort of, you know, or, or doing the other thing where you make the bill bigger than it needs to be so Joe Manchin can chop some stuff off and still feel like he's done something? Why don't you just spend a hundred million dollars and put the most state of the art, noisy polling operation in the state of West Virginia and just make sure that every time Joe Biden suggests something new, every major newspaper has mounds of polling data that says this has a 99% approval rating in West Virginia. <laughs> like, wouldn't that, what, if every Joe Manchin headline was Joe Manchin refuses to, you know, sign the infrastructure bill despite the fact that it has a 90% approval rating in his home state, like, wouldn't that be more effective than whatever catering to him that they, they need to do on a personal level? Yeah, are we just absolutely sure all these bills are going to pull at 99% in West Virginia? Everything no, Joe Biden no, but wants to do? <laughs> no, but COVID relief and infrastructure, I mean, like checks for everybody and, you know, jobs yeah. for everybody. It seems like a pretty high polling opportunity. What if I don't it's 37%? Right. Joe Manchin may not sign on. I mean, that's well, the, pro I think, that's I think the problem, right? I like think the, if it's, I think that Joe Manchin probably knows the numbers. I'm more concerned not just about pestering him with the numbers, but making sure that every time that he he's a naysayer, that the numbers are actually out there, which to to show that I mean, everyone's just like, well, he's from West Virginia. If he wasn't, if it wasn't him, it would be a Republican, and maybe that's true. But what the whole point of what we've been talking about is Joe Biden isn't pushing, isn't on its on it on their face pushing policies that are just like crazy Marxist AOC 
parodies, right? I mean, he's these are these are things that Donald Trump was was for nominally in his day. Anyway, I guess we'll come back to Joe Manchin at some other time. All right, David, let's do the overword Twitter joke of the week where we celebrate a gag that was so obvious that all of media Twitter made it at exactly the same time. Send your nominees to at the press box pod where they are always, always gratefully received. David, Transportation Secretary Pete Buttigieg made some news this week when he said, quote, there is racism physically built into some of our highways. Mm -hmm. We could have absolutely predicted what would happen. Conservatives lost their minds. And Libs asked, um, have you read Bob Caro's The Power Broker? Because <laughs> there's some stuff in there. It was an overworked Twitter joke or maybe just a good joke to write tweets dunking on Robert Moses, our infrastructure. <laughs> Thanks to our pal Michael Moynihan for that one. A little early season controversy in baseball, David, because what are we going to cover actual baseball? We're just going to cover the controversies. I think we're going to do that. <laughs> Umpire Ron Culpa, Ron Culpa admitted he blew a call that handed a victory to the New York Mets. It was an overworked Twitter joke, of course, to call this Maya Culpa. <laughs> Thanks to Justin Schooner for that. And finally, Congressman Matt Gates is still embattled. How embattled is he? Oh, I'll tell you. He's so embattled that he sought a meeting with Donald Trump. And Donald Trump refused to see him. It was an overworked Twitter joke to write, wow, Gates really is like a son to Trump. Because <laughs> how he treats his kids. Thanks to Joe Schmidt. If you discovered the final level of embattlement, the one where even Trump abandons you, congrats, you made the overworked Twitter joke of the week. This episode is brought to you by Thomas's. Thomas's presents Technique with Tom. Slicing an English muffin with a butter blade? Boulder Dash. Just pull apart with your hands and marvel in the nooks and crannies splendor. For each one is unique like a snowflake. Thomas's. Huzzah! A toast to breakfast. This episode is brought to you by Viore. I love sports. I know you do too. I also know that lots of you exercise. But if you're like me and my wife, the, the beloved sports gal, you're sick and tired of ugly, uncomfortable workout gear, especially, you know, I do a lot of walking. I walk around LA, I make calls, I listen to podcasts. Here are two words that will change everything. Viore clothing, a line of activewear that is unbelievable. The best thing about Viore is you can lounge around in it, you can work out in it, you can go outside, you can go shopping down in your local wherever, and you never feel like you're either underdressed or overdressed. You're just comfortable. You can wear it when you're training, traveling, lounging around the house. Go get yourself some of the most comfortable and versatile clothing on the planet. Here's the deal. Our listeners get 20% off their first purchase at viori.com slash Simmons. Once again, V-U-O-R-I.com slash Simmons. This episode is brought to you by cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, view its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com. In the notebook dump, David, we had an amazing sports TV split screen over the weekend. Over on CBS, you had the Masters, and you had a lot of golf announcers talking very much in this key right down here. And then over on FS1, and I want to make sure I get this right, you had the Bowling Proprietors Association U.S. Open in Reno, Nevada. Mm-hmm. And you had a young bowler named Anthony Nyer stepping up and nailing a 7-10 split. And then you had Rob Stone, a Fox, guy we both know, absolutely delivering the bowling call of the year, decade, century, I don't know what. <sighs> who would know? Who would be able to say? But it was amazing. It was fantastic. Here's just a little bit of that. Well, as soon as we heard it, we had to get Rob Stone on the press box. 
Here is Rob Stone on the art of calling bowling. All right, Rob, help us with some context first. David and I know converting a 7-10 split in bowling is hard. We know that much. But is it as hard as throwing a no-hitter in baseball, breaking off a 99-yard run in football? What's what's the comp here? That's a good one. I think it's I think it's harder than the no-hitter because the no-hitters have, have kind of become commonplace, I think, in our world where you expect a handful of no-hitters every season. They're still celebrated, and we still go nuts, and it still goes on the bottom ticker with breaking news. The 99-yard runs are always kind of like, fluky, right? It's like somebody slipped in the secondary or it was a bizarro screen pass or you know something about it. But the 710, it's always there, right? It's like there's no moving targets. It, it, it is what it is. It's a seven pin. And on the opposite side, it's a 10 pin. There's no other you know impediments put in your place. There's no um, game planning outside of just hauling it and, and hoping for the best. And you know, since I've been calling bowling, in the back of my head, you know, you always think about kind of some of those bucket lists, no matter what the sport is, right? For soccer, like, man, you know, to do a World Cup, how great would that be? And for bowling, a 300 game was always on my bucket list. I hope I can be part of a 300 game. I have no idea what that's going to be like. I'm so jealous of the people who have been. And finally, I was. But a 7-10 split conversion is not even in the conversation. It's not even bucket list material because you just, you don't even think it's ever, ever going to happen. So when a 7-10 opportunity comes up over the course of the bowling shows, typically we're just kind of blowing it off in the sense of, oh, poor guy, what a tough break. Here's an open frame. This is really going to set him back. And, and the shot happens and you know they're lucky they get one pin, frankly, sometimes. So it's just such a, um, a non, it's almost a non-event until it happens. And then it becomes an event. Just a minor follow up on on Brian's very very uh, spot on question. You know they always talk about in basketball how there's guys that can barely hit a shot, but they say like in warm ups they're draining like seventy percent of their threes. Is does the ginger assassin or bowler on his level make like fifty percent of seven tens in practice, or is it just a wild like an oddity for them too? It's not. I don't think it's something you practice. Right, because ideally, if you've done your job, you're not staring at the seven ten, mm-hmm. right? And this, the seven ten is is pure punishment. You've done something wrong, and and this is how you're going to have to deal with it. Do they practice other spare shots? Absolutely, certainly. But I don't think there's a pro out there who you know talks to the guy at the bowling center and is like, just keep setting me up seven tens, man. Just keep <laughs> dropping seven tens because I'm gonna do it. Because you, you hardly ever see it, right? And and at that point, the odds are so minuscule that you're going to make it up and, and, you know, you're crestfallen at that point because you know, you're, you know, you're in big trouble, right? You know, you're, uh, you've hurt your game, you've hurt your chances. So a seven ten is something that nobody practices. They just kind of stare at it, curse it. And that, that's why they're probably hauling balls down there at, at maximum speed because they're so angry and, and teed off. And that also happens to be one of the best strategies for taking care of the seven ten. Seven ten is just, putting all your anger into it and, and giving the, giving the high heat down the lane and hoping for the best. I have a question about the bowler who did this because you call him the ginger assassin in the clip, which is a fantastic nickname. Yet I look at his shirt and it says hammer with a picture of a hammer, which is well, hammer, let's face it, hammer's a sponsor. Hammer's a sponsor. Wait, that's a sponsor. I thought that was a <laughs> generic bowling nickname. So it's a sponsor. Um, and, and, and listen, right. David knows this, right? David knows I'm, I'm a wrestling guy. Right. And, and I think if you, if you go back and listen to it, definitely some, some JR, some Jim Ross snuck out Mm -hmm. on that call. And I I do have a propensity in bowling to dropping in some wrestling here and there. Um, Cause I just love the theater of wrestling and it makes so much sense. And um, you know, David, we've talked about this in the past where, and I say it to, I say to my soccer people, my, you know, my, my football people, bowling people, if you're coming out or you're doing something and you're not getting a reaction, booze or cheers, you're doing something wrong, right? So I, I, I definitely bring some of that wrestling mentality to a, a lot of my broadcast. And, and I'll drop nicknames. And um, I, went, I went on a, um, a Brett the Hitman, not the Brett the Hitman heart. I went on a rant um, a couple weeks ago about the heartbreak kid and his his breakup with his tag team partner. And you know where I'm going with this, David. Uh-huh. Um, so, so like a kind of a nickname just helps, right? It helps sporting. We, we have nicknames everywhere. And 
clearly this kid did not have a nickname. I, I gave it to him. Um, I, I hope he's okay with it, but it, it's definitely <laughs> very wrestling to, you know, because I, 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 was, I was frankly surprised watching Raw last night that one of the McMahons didn't have somebody in red hair that was, you know, the ginger assassin out there. Yeah. I thought like if they were really on it, they would, and from parts unknown, weight unknown, the ginger assassin. Oh my God. That's fantastic. Well, it's as, as for something, for an event that's this rare, uh, you know, making the seven ten split conversion, it, it was the call that really got it. Well, to use the wrestling term, got it over, right? I mean, when we yeah. were, when I saw it on Twitter, it was, I mean, I, we started off asking about the rarity of the, of the seven. I mean, it's, it's it, because it was presented to us at, or at least to me as look at this great call. Sure. It's a big moment, but listen to this great call. So how do you, you said you weren't necessarily planning or it was a bucket list for the seven ten, but like, how do you even, pl- I mean, do, do you have a feeling that something like that's going to go viral when it's happening? No chance, no chance. Um, I, I didn't recognize that it went viral until a long time ago, uh, or I'm sorry, until much after it passed when I woke up and my phone was, had all these things and like, oh my God, dude, you know, my fraternity brothers and soccer teammates are telling me like, I'm seeing it on the today show. I'm like, seeing what? Uh, what are you seeing on today's show? Like, what are you talking? What is Jimmy Fallon talking about? I don't know what you're discussing. Um, so, no, going viral never crossed my mind. Um, I mean, I just lost my mind. That's all it is. I mean, plain and simple, I lost my mind. It was very much uh, a Will Ferrell in old school type moment when he was debating James Carville and this question about <laughs> economics came up. And Will's like, I got it. I got it. I'm going to do it. And then he just kind of, you know, he, he closed his eyes and shook his head and he kind of blacked out and presented this thing. And that's, that's what I did because I, I left that bowling stadium and I have no idea what I said. And hours later I had to play it back. Cause I had no clue what I said. I just know I was screaming and yelling and, and so happy. I mean, it was pure, pure joy. And I think that's probably what um, a lot of people have latched onto that. It was this unadulterated happiness unbridled joy, something that wasn't scripted. Um, and I think it resonates even more because of everything that we've been dealing with in our lives over the last year and change that there is these, these pure moments are the ones that seem to resonate right now. And, and that's all it was, you know, my partner, Randy Peterson, and I were so stinking happy for the kid and so thrilled that we got to witness history that we just kept yelling and we would swivel our chairs. My, there was a buddy behind me who actually filmed probably the last 75% of the rant. He just happened to have his camera there and filmed it. And you see our chairs swiveling and we're looking at each other and, you know, like we're gesturing with our hands and putting them over our head. And, you know, we just have this, this eye contact of, Oh my God, like, what did we just see? This is insane. This kid just, just did this thing that we never, ever thought we would see and never prepared for. The three of us sat down. We could pretty quickly come up with a list of all-time football calls, all-time baseball calls. Is there a comparable list for bowling? Is there like a Chris Schenkel top 10 out there in the world somewhere that gets replayed on all the uh, you shows? Know, I mean, Chris, everything Chris Schenkel did was gold, right? I mean, he's he was such a, a fantastic broadcaster. So, But, you know, he and I are, are cut from a different cloth. Um, <laughs> I would and, say and the so. Bowling world, the bowling world has been made uh, well aware of that over the course of the last couple of years. So, I, I don't know. I think you know the 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 moment that probably resonates the most is that Pete Weber rant when he won the title. And you know, who do you think you are? I am. Um, it, it, it'll probably be in one of those type of discussions. I guess. I don't know. I, I I'm. It's so silly and so stupid, and it's my personality to get excited and, and pump things and be a salesman and push stuff over the top. So I had no clue uh, that it would resonate to the level that Brian, you would be texting me today saying, Hey, can you join <laughs> me on the podcast? Right. I, I, I don't even think my mom and dad are aware of what the hell's going on with it. I mean, it really is an incredible tribute to be able to break through and, and I really take what you say about the craziness we've been living through to heart. Cause as silly as it sounds, my wife and I have said more than once that the thing we're, we would do, we're going to do first when the world opens back up is go to a bowling alley because there's just something so illicit about that right now. Yeah, it's pure. It's, it's innocent. It's American. It's fun. It's, it's an activity that you obviously, you know, typically share with others. And I think we've all just kind of been, been aching for it. You know, we've been aching for feel good news, you know, something that, that 
it doesn't associate itself with a vaccine. That's good news, right? I think I just want something that is so pure and simple and clean that I can smile to. And frankly, that's digestible, right? Because that was a, I don't know what, a, a 20 second, 30 second rant, including the sponsorship that I was able to sneak in there. Um, and the funny part is because I'm, I'm away with a couple of my good friends right now and they're cracking up at it because, you know, their, their wife or kids are telling them this and they're, they're telling me more and more stories about who's tweeting it and who's talking about it, and who's using it. So um, random parts of the day, they'll just play the clip out of nowhere and just start laughing. And, you know, and I think some of it too, is you hear the word ginger assassin and it just puts a smile on your face. Like it's not threatening at all. You just, it's so stupid and ridiculous that it, it makes you happy. Right. And, um, and I think those two words are, are kind of the key to it. That just, that, that let it help, help it run. And, and the energy doesn't hurt either. But I think, I think people have just been kind of waiting for moments like this that they can, they can latch on to and take a nice little break from, from everything that's been going on. And speaking of the assassin, he actually lost this right. match. He well, did not win. I, it's, it's funny, Brian, because I've been thinking about it. And my friends have been asking me, you know, about certain elements. And I'm like, you guys are totally overanalyzing it. Like it's your buddy, Rob, who just lost his mind for 20 seconds. But when I think about it and the buildup to it, you know, I think, I think his story certainly added to our enthusiasm. You know, it's, it's an 18 year old kid, right? So, oh my gosh, I can't believe this kid is 18 and he's on the pro tour. Um, the night before the event, I go into the parking lot at the national bowling stadium and I see him loading up his pickup truck with Pennsylvania plates full of bowling bag balls. And this kid is 18 and drove cross country to compete in these tournaments. And the fact that my partner, Randy had bowled professionally with his dad, you know, there were all these little connections that you wanted you wanted the kid to do well. And, and he did win his first match and, and you're cheering for him. And the second match, he wasn't going to win it. And then boom, here comes the seven ten. right? It was just like, Oh man, what a low blow. Like he doesn't need this, right? This is, this is not, this is not worthy of him. And the fact that he was able to overcome it, I think, I think elevated us to an, to an even higher level, to be honest. Now, as a, as a professional, this is, I mean, we're definitely in, whether it's the time that we're in because of COVID or just the, the perfect moment in, in social media uh, that we're in right now, you're capable of going viral more than ever. Does this, is this going to sneak into your subconscious now? Like, I know that like you have, you created the term hambone, if I, if I am correct in saying that. And you've had, there's been a couple of moments in your bowling announcing career that I feel like would just be easy fodder for like 2021 social media, but this is the one that people are going to remember. So now do you, do you, is there going to be part of your subconscious? that's like seeking out this sort of, this sort of moment? No, no chance. Cause I think if you're seeking it out, you're going to fail. And society is so smart, so intelligent, so wise right now. They'll see right through it. Right. They'll, they'll know, Hey man, this isn't pure. That was staged. And the best moments in, in broadcasting are the ones that really are from deep down, are from the heart, are from the gut, uh, are not rehearsed, are not choreographed, are just this, just this, this essence that overtakes you and and works with the moment in the moment. And uh, I, I don't expect anything I say to ever be that big. You know, frankly, my job, uh, particularly in the studio, is to make everybody else have the great soundbite and the great quote that everybody latches on to. Uh, so this is unique territory for me. And I think anything, and I think anybody would tell you that Joe Buck was here talking, he would say anything that he's done that has resonated, you know, that, that great baseball call, we'll see you tomorrow. Like there's no way he had that written down saying, should there be a walk-off home run? And it's going to force another game in the world series. Here's what I'm going to say. Instead, it's just in the moment and, and being a fan and being the viewer and kind of being their mouthpiece, right. Saying what, what they're saying and what they're feeling. And, and obviously a lot of people were, were feeling that happiness and that, that jubilation as well. Yeah. And I think Rob, uh, you know, to the larger point, if we were ranking things announcers want to do number two, have a really memorable call that goes viral. That's number two on the list. Number one, and you alluded to this earlier, don't forget to mention the sponsored element that you're supposed to mention. And that's actually low key, my favorite moment. Oh my God. Oh my God. And that is the uh, guaranteed raid spare of the game. <laughs> now that's professionalism <laughs> yeah. right there. Seamless transition. Seamless, right? Seamless. Well, it's, it's funny on the, on the video, if you watch it, 
you, you see my hand kind of reach back and, and my stage manager's right behind me and, and I know a card is coming. So I'm reaching to hand it to him because I don't want to screw up any of the verbiage for a sponsor. Um, and it was, and, and the wording for the sponsorship on the card, it literally looks like something I would have said in the moment anyways. Um, so it worked out perfectly. And I got to tell you that that sponsor has, I mean, they, they've gotten, they've gotten their, their bang for their buck this season <laughs> already. Um, so yeah, it did. I didn't notice it in the moment because that's my job. That's what I'm supposed to do. I'm used to it. But there's a lot of other people out there who have said, and you got the sponsorship in like, and you, you know, you took care of the sponsor as well. I'm like, yeah, I guess I did. I, I, again, I blacked out. I was Will Ferrell. I was somewhere else. You gave me, if anybody gave me a card, it was like an anchorman moment too. You gave me a card. I'm reading it. I'm saying it. Here we go. Well, I mean, I think it's safe to say that, I mean, I don't know your number one objective I'm sure is telling the story and you did a great job of that. But part of, I mean, any announcer's objective has to be to get more eyes on the product. And you've probably done, did more for bowling, uh, in that call, um, than it, it would be possible to do for a lot of, you know, more mainstream sports. So that's, that's gotta be, that's gotta be a quite an accomplishment Have people from within the, the PBA been, been blowing you up as besides just your friends. Have you heard it from, uh, from inside? Yeah, you know, the, the commissioner of the PBA, Tom Clark, has reached out to me and, you know, said things. And, and a lot of it's like, do you see who's tweeting about this now? And <laughs> this is so great. And 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 I think that's part of part of the the joy that it's brought me as well. Cause I'm I'm so fortunate that I, I get to work on some some bigger properties, right? No offense to PBA and bowling, but you know, college basketball and college football at Fox and, and all the great soccer we do with MLS or World Cup. Uh, these are things that that get hyped on a regular basis and and they own um, you know, a segment of that pie graph of your attention and bowling is just this tiny, tiny, tiny little wedge. And for that sport to have something that they can hold on to, that's a positive, right? A positive moment. Um, I think it's great for them. You know, I don't know what they're going to be able to do with it, but I'm glad that I was able to contribute in some part, um, to a positive moment for, for that sport and, and for that league going forward. And, and that does add some extra positive sentiment for me at least. Um, I'm, I'm a humble guy. This, this attention is kind of, I find it very silly and I'm laughing about it and it's very welcome because I know that it's going to serve a higher purpose, hopefully, you know, for, for the sport of bowling. Was it anywhere in the back of your mind that there were golf announcers on another network this weekend talking very quietly right. while you were going in completely the other direction? Well, you're, you know, on a couple points, that does resonate with me. Um, and not so much that we were going head to head with the masters, but the fact that in the old days, bowling had, had a golf fan type mentality where it was very much the golf clap, the golf clap. And I know when I came in and it wasn't my place to say it, but I hated it. Um, you know, any broadcaster wants to be in an environment, um, that is exciting and it has got, you know, everybody's in a froth and they're ready to go. And, and, and the athletes are ready as well. And these poor bowlers, they haven't been granted that. So through the years, it has picked up. There's been more, more chanting. There's more fans. There's, um, you know, signs are brought to these events. Um, and part of my job, too, is also to be a salesman, is, is to hype this stuff up, is to sell these stories. And, and some of that is, is being excited, right? And letting people know, hey, this was a big, big moment. You know, a lot of people know, you know that a pick six is a big moment. A lot of people don't know how big 710 is. And um, I think our excitement level educated them on that a little bit uh last question from me what's a bigger moment this one or winning the uh wwe 24 7 championship that's a cold that's a cold shot brother that's a cold <laughs> shot so it's it's my birthday tomorrow and i'm a horrible person to have to shop for for a birthday david and my wife you know she's like what what do you want and she's just given me god bless her i love her but she's not a good gift giver for me and so finally this year i gave her two things and the first one was I want my 24-7 championship reign properly documented in my house. That's, that's all I want. So she looks at me. She's like, I don't know what that means. I go, I don't either. But there better be a picture. And hopefully we can put it above the fireplace of me and that damn belt. So um, the 24-7 thing holds, holds a special, special part in my heart because it's so silly. And I've grown up with wrestling. I didn't grow up with bowling. You know, bowling's become a part of my life the last couple of years. But that wrestling man, you know it, David. It's so addictive. It gets, it seeps into your soul, and it just doesn't. It doesn't leave. <laughs> I'm jealous of both of them, for the record. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Rob Stone. Watch him call the PBA on Fox, Major League Soccer, Fox's College Sports. He will never 
sound like a golf announcer, no matter what he is calling. Rob, 100%. You will not get that from me. Happy birthday. Thanks for coming on the Press Box. Thanks, guys. All right, it's time for David Shoemaker guesses the strained pun headline. Yeah. Thursday's headline about a to-do involving former LSU president F. King Alexander. I'm already laughing. <laughs> was a F. King mess. Today's headline comes from about 50 people. I'm going to credit it to Paul Goodlow. It's from Rolling Stone, David. I'll read you a little of this story. An organization has created a new Nirvana song using artificial intelligence software to approximate the singer-guitarist's songwriting. Dot, dot, dot. The song's creators say nearly everything on the song, from the turns of phrase to the reckless guitar performance, is the work of computers. Okay? The AI has written a Kurt Cobain song, a Nirvana song. What was Rolling Stone's strained pun headline? Is it smells like well, it smells like Nirvana was the Weird Al Yankovic song? <laughs> that smells. That, that's actually very good. That might actually be better than. Uh, never mind. Um, mm? Am I in the? Was I in? The, okay. Uh, uh, You're making the tour through the right part. Uh, <laughs> is it something shaped box? Uh, no. Um, uh gosh i'll um what if we were going to the third and final studio album by nirvana uh what was it there is in, uh, never mind in utero but what okay. was it uh now the in, ai is coming up with the song it is in, in stereo in uh man you can do better than that pun what boy. is it why don't i why can't i get it in computero in computero <laughs> Oh, that's good. Good stuff, Rolling Stone. He is David Shoemaker. I'm Brian Curtis. Production magic by Kaya McMullen sitting in for Erica. We are back Thursday with Broadway writer Michael Riedel, plus more lukewarm takes about the media. See you then, David. See you later, Brian. (laughs) 